Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Crime and Investigations, I Am A Killer is a brand new 10-part true crime documentary series produced in partnership with Netflix by an excellent production team including me, Danny Tipping and me, Tom Adams. Each episode tells the story of a prisoner convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death. In this podcast, we'll be going into the making of each episode revealing what it was like to produce this incredible series. My name's Charles Thompson. I've been on death row for 18 years, 19 years altogether on this case. I was convicted of capital murder, double murder statue, and it was girlfriend and, a, and another man. Episode eight is the, uh, the story of Charles Thompson, and uh, this one's called Intended Evil. Charles Thompson is arrested, tried and convicted for the murder of his ex-girlfriend and her new lover, it's complicated slightly by the fact that Denise Hayslip, his, his ex-girlfriend, didn't die when he shot her and died days later in, in hospital, which opened the question of whether or not he had murdered her or intended to kill her. And I think that's that's where we are, are going with the title Intended Evil, Tom. So, yeah, the episode was called Intended Evil because, in fact, it's a quote from um, from one of the interviewees in the film who... When asked whether the hospital killed Denise or whether Chuck killed Denise, he says, well, the hospital didn't intend evil. And to his mind, Charles Thompson clearly did intend evil with that gunshot. So that's what we're exploring, whether whether there was intended evil from Chuck Thompson or, or whether... It was a, a tragic mistake that through problems encountered at the hospital resulted in the death of Denise. And this one, again, like all, all the shows in the series, is not perhaps quite as straightforward as it, it first appears. You know, angry ex-boyfriend kills ex-girlfriend and her new partner and is, is uh, convicted and sent to prison... On the face of it, it's a fairly straightforward cut and dry story, but as we get into it, there's a, there's a lot more. The nature of his relationship with Denise, the fact that she didn't die at the scene of the crime, she died days later in hospital, and his intention on going there that night with, with a loaded gun, none of which detracts from the fact that this was a, you know, a terrible and tragic murder case with two victims. But then we, we meet in this film a number of really interesting characters, the, the medical examiner at the, at the time, um, Denise's son, who is an incredible 
incredible, incredible man um, yes. who gives a, a really touching and powerful interview. And again, this this story takes a couple of turns that perhaps you, you weren't expecting in you know in the first act. So um, you know, it's another story that I think will uh, will stick with us. I mean, Chuck's belief is that the hospital was were responsible for Denise's death, and he believes that that what happened there led to her death. Whereas others in the film believe that it all started at the time when when he was in Denise's apartment and and fired the shots. It's undisputed that he killed Denise's boyfriend, but the question is, was he responsible for Denise's death? And Chuck Thompson, you know, is an interesting character. Again, he's a, at the time of this, of this crime, he, you know, he's a confident, charismatic young guy, good-looking fella, you know, circle of friends, holding down jobs and relationships, you know, and, and, and things take a, a dramatic turn for the worse. I mean, you, you'll see in the film that, uh, the Chuck Thompson that we meet years later in prison is still an extremely confident and charismatic man. In the interviews, you'll, you'll see someone that you know has no problem discussing his crimes and, and and addressing the camera and telling his story. And he's obviously a bright and confident individual. So I went down to court and they told me, look, we're dropping the manslaughter and the aggravated assault charges. And I looked at the bailiff and asked him, what does this mean? And they said, we're introducing capital murder charges. And I looked at the bailiff, and he said, this means a death penalty now, boy. I'm like, death penalty? What are you talking about? And he said, yeah, you're, you're charged under double murder statute. I said, I didn't kill her. The hospital did. I had already talked to my family on the phone and heard that there was complications, that the hospital had uh, suffocated her. You know, I was devastated. In between the first and second interview, there's a 90-day break, which is a rule in, for this particular Texas prison board. I mean, I think the, the inmates attending an interview and interacting with film crews is, is considered a privilege. It's not... Again, it's, it's a drain on the resources of the prison, as you can imagine, setting these up and, and um, facilitating them. Um, and so there's a, a three-month break between, you know, the first interview and, and being able to uh, arrange a second interview. So we had a... Had to, you know, set up the first interview, go away, pick up our other our interviews, our other contributors, and then and then wait the full three months before we could go back and and revisit Charles Thompson in prison to get our second interview. And the second interview in, in all these films is is really key because we go back one with with the inmate having been able to contemplate the first interview and 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 sort of develop their thoughts and feelings about what 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 happened and how they presented themselves, but also we go back with a a much deeper level of understanding of the story, having met them, having interviewed the other contributors, uh, got their side of the story. And we, we had the opportunity to then go back and certainly relay some of our findings, some of our thoughts and feelings to the inmate and have them respond to that, which I think really gives that, that second interview an incredible amount of weight. We had a loose form for each show in that we would have the first interview with our inmate. We would then go away learn more about the characters involved by meeting some of them, by speaking to them, by understanding other perspectives on on those events. And then we'd return to our inmate at the end of the programme to to see how they reacted to things we might have learnt on the way or, or, or for clarification on points or whatever it might be. 
That last interview was a, a movable feast. It was very, very flexible in that it was purely what we felt was important to be said by that person, and that's what we included. So if there were just one or two points, then that, that final interview would be a short interview very near the end. If there was enough that was engaging, interesting and new from, from our other characters, that's where our programme would go. So although there was a format to a degree, we had the flexibility, thankfully, from commissioners at A&E and both at Netflix that, that what they wanted was a, a story well told and not to fit any format that ticked boxes. It gave us the freedom to tell the story the way we felt that story should be told. Yeah, and 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 explore, because all of them, as we said after the first interview, actually were, were you know, despite how well our research done and how prepared we were, all the stories took a different turns and, and led us down avenues we weren't expecting. And so we ended up, on a number of cases, you know, changing tack. And none of them, are, as we said, are straightforward. We interviewed Wade Hayslip in this film, who is the son of Denise, one of Charles Thompson's victims. And Wade is a, you know, incredible interviewee, uh, very um, reflective and thoughtful and reasonable in discussing what happened to his mother and his, his thoughts and feelings about Charles Thompson. And he, we play a segment of. Um, our interview with Charles Thompson to, to Wayne and, and he responds. And Tom, how would you describe well, that? It was it was one of the decisions we made quite early in the production process. We decided not to have commentary and not be able to... By not having commentary, we, we weren't able to turn corners ourselves within within the films. And equally, we couldn't remind people of information we had received along our journey the way round that because what we wanted to do was was remind the viewer of of facts or or information that we'd learnt on the way and we came up with the idea of of replaying some earlier interviews to remind the viewer of that part of the story and what that then meant was it also meant we could play it to our interviewee whoever we were interviewing at the time and we would also be able to see what their reaction was they may disagree with what they'd just heard entirely they may agree with it and and give additional information but it became part of the way we would tell the story it was a way of reminding the viewer of a piece of information but also driving the story forward by getting some kind of response from whoever we were playing that piece of tape from and very often it, it provoked strong reactions as you'd imagine because in this instance we're, we're playing Wade the the testimony of his his mother's murderer in other instances we're we're playing the inmate interviews of of the the relatives of their victims so you know it is a it is an emotional yeah and very often the person not in prison won't have heard or seen or had anything to do with the person in prison for you know since the trial if if at all and um and vice versa the person the the inmate may not have heard any any of these characters from the outside world so there's a there's a high degree of emotion tied into hearing these voices and and some people didn't want to 
hear certain things and and we also took the decision to not play clips to certain people for for the same reason and i think you'll see when you when you see this film chuck thompson's story it's quite striking how wade responds to hearing charles's interview you know and i think it really is one of the high points of the film well she's not in the hospital if you don't shoot her um I mean, it's an easy excuse to make. It's an easy one to blame. Blame the hospital. So uh, I would I would in his situation as well. Uh, however, uh, ultimately, though, the truth is, is that you held a gun to somebody's face and you pulled the trigger. Um, and the reason why we know it was held close because there were powder burns on her cheek. He's an extraordinary character, Wade, in that he is... He seems so forgiving about what happened. I, I don't actually know. He doesn't. He doesn't forgive, but he 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 finds everything utterly reasonable. And even when, even when Charles Thompson escapes and is caught four days later, after having had too much to drink, I mean, there's an initial laugh. You, you know, he finds it ridiculous, and then he goes, "Well, actually." You know, he's been in prison a while. He probably... What, what would I know? I haven't experienced that. Maybe that's exactly what you want after being in prison. You want a few beers. He's, he's so reasonable. <laughs> I don't know if it's me, but obviously I was... As we went in, the process being that obviously I was across the selection of the, the 10 stories. I'd read the the treatments and the, the scripts as much as you can script a show like this. And then the team went off and they got the interview. They did all the hard work there and they went and got the interviews and start constructing these films. And then um, the next time I sit down and, and have anything to do with it is at the rough cut. So by which time I'd already formed a, an idea of, of who these characters are, who I think Chuck Thompson is. Or Well, you've got a picture and, yeah. a, and a couple of paragraphs or a page and, yeah. and you make a decision And, and I've read the script, so I know the facts of the case of the murder, of the, uh, how the crime unfolded, which is not much more than facts and dates and what was submitted in court. So in every essence, either consciously or subconsciously, in every instance that we went in the edit, I, I thought I knew how I felt about this story and that inmate. And obviously Tom and, and, and Ned and the producer directors who were, had seen that story evolve from the, its original form on, on paper were a little bit more clued into what to expect. But I think in almost every instance, I I had my uh, my preconceptions tested and certainly an appreciation for how how complicated each and every one of these stories actually is if not complicated how multi-layered and the the skill of the team was really drawing out all the the facets you know okay we're going to give this guy this inmate's convicted killer the opportunity to tell their story but on the other hand you're also going to hear and in some cases for the first time the story of these other guys that are involved in well, we're going to hold him to account for yeah. various things on the way and i think yeah. in in almost every Every instance, I, I came out feeling differently, or certainly having a different understanding of what I thought the story was. And I think that's the, you know, as, as Tom said, if if you know, if the tagline is "Everybody has a story to tell," you know, might I'd, I'd come to that with, and, and it might not be the one you're expecting to hear, because that's certainly the case for me in in watching these these shows. I mean, to carry a torch for somebody to die for twenty years. It's, you know, okay, you know. <laughs> I don't, 
I, I couldn't hate somebody that long. It's not in my, not in my blood. You know what they say about hate, it'll eat you up inside. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So in a more traditional documentary, you would, you'd interview five, six people that you would listen to over the course of an hour but each time we hear from them, we'd maybe hear a couple of lines and then we'd go to someone else, hear a couple of lines from mm. We chose not to do it that way. We we let people come on screen and tell their story, for the most part, in one long chunk. And that, that I think... What did it do, Danny? How, how, did, how did that... Well, I think, I think they, the... I think it is important, and again, it's not something I was necessarily expecting initially. We'd obviously discussed the fact that we weren't going to use any any narrator; that the story would be told predominantly. That the narrator would be driven by, um, in the first instance, by our, our inmate, and then secondarily by our other contributors, and that we wouldn't interfere. You wouldn't hear the, the producer's voice or the um, or any kind of written narration. And then after that, the next key decision was to to play our our contributors interviews in a chunk that you're going to see there would be you know that act would be dominated by by our, our inmate and then our interview and then we'd move uh, our interviewee rather and then we'd move on to somebody else who could tell their part of the story and they would all build on top of each other to form the the whole picture rather than interspersing sections of those individual interviews you know evenly throughout the show and i think you stay with the, these characters longer whether they're the victims relatives or, or indeed in some cases the inmates relatives or the arresting officer, or the prosecutor, and they get time to tell the story. And you get, I think, as much as we can in, in you know, a fifty-minute film. You get a, a feeling of of who these people are, how they feel, and what they're going to say. We haven't just gone, which would have been the easier way, with their nicely cut sync or their sound bites. We've let them tell their story. We've we've let them pause for breath. We've let them respond emotionally in whatever way that is to the questions we're asking them. And you see that all play out. And I think it's, it's a much better, each of them are much better films for that. I think also it gives each film a sense of journey in that we meet someone, we stay with them for a while, we learn from them, and then we move on to the next person. And as you say, each interview builds on the previous one. So you're getting the layers of story built up over the course of that 45 minutes, 50 minutes. And that then gives a sense of journey. It gives its own narrative line there as we're learning more about the story. Then we eventually go back to our inmate at the end of the programme, hopefully to tie up loose ends or very often to just admit that there are loose ends. You know, nothing's ever done and dusted in these programmes. No, and I don't think that was our, our job either. Uh, you know, we're not not drawing a line that we're introducing and raising the issues and giving voice to people in, in most instances our, our inmates had, had never had the opportunity to tell a story and in most instances all our other contributors the friends relatives 
prosecutors arresting officers hadn't been asked there to tell their story either, or certainly not since the court case. So yeah, there are there are loose ends and there are questions, as many questions raised as answered. But I think that that's what a good documentary does. We'd love to hear what you think of the series. Comment on Facebook or Twitter with hashtag IamAKiller. And don't forget to rate us and subscribe to this podcast series. The I Am A Killer podcast is hosted by Tom Adams and Danny Tipping and is produced by Sam Pearson, Steph Nardilli and Matt Talent with editing by Susanna Lawrence. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.